This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Today is Palm Sunday, the time we traditionally celebrate Jesus' riding into the city of Jerusalem as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, riding on a donkey, the foal of an ass. And as he rides into the city, the people cheer and celebrate, laying garments in his path and waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as many of you know, it is the beginning of the end for Jesus. He is destined to suffer and die so that the gates of the city, the gate of salvation, the gate of hope, the gate of grace might be opened for you and for me. Jesus is the gate through which all might enter into the glory of God's eternal presence. And as we celebrate this premature triumphant entry, I invite you to look again with me at the 118th Psalm, the 19th through the 21 verse, which reads, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. So today, in a time where there seems to be so much effort to shut people out, to persecute, to exclude, and yes, as we are seeing the rising cases of violence against our Asian American brothers and sisters, it seems an effort to normalize hate. I want to talk about access into God's salvation. And to do this, I've chosen to title this message quite simply, The Gate of the Lord. The Gate of the Lord. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, for this time of preaching. Spirit of the living God, incarnate now your spirit into my flesh. Breathe on this preacher. Breathe on this message. And make them both live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jerusalem was a walled city. And at the time of Jesus, it had as many as nine gates. During peaceful times, the gates were used for judgments and business transactions where leaders would sit to deliberate and to debate about the various issues related to the welfare of the nation. Now Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem through what is called the East Gate, sometimes called the Beautiful Gate or the Golden Gate. Gate. It was a double gate and the only gate facing the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. Now an interesting fact about this East Gate is that it was the gate through which the Jews believed that the future Messiah would enter into the great city. This belief was so intense that in 1540, in an effort to prevent the Messiah's arrival, the Muslims sealed up the gate with cement and even established a cemetery by the pathway to the gate in order to prevent 
and interrupt Messiah's entry. Keep in the back of your minds that the Jewish people all believe that anything that touches the dead is unclean. And so the Muslims believe if they put a cemetery before the gate and block the gate, it would thwart the intentions of the coming Messiah. Now, this gate has remained sealed now for almost 500 years, but years before that 1540 date, years before the Muslims decided to seal the gate, the prophet Ezekiel made a prophecy about this sealing as told in Ezekiel, the 44th chapter and the first through the third verses. Stay with me, church. He says, then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary which looketh towards the east. In other words, the east gate. This is the vision of Ezekiel. And it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Many believe that this is the same gate that Jesus entered into on Palm Sunday from the east and where Peter healed a beggar. And the same gate prophesied by Ezekiel hundreds of years before. That what? That no man shall enter in by it because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. It is for the prince. But if that is true, then what the Muslims did not know is that by the time they chose to close the gate in 1540, the Messiah had already entered through it. And the beauty of it all is that Jesus would have entered through it and God would have used the Muslims to shut the gate so that no one can enter through it again, for it is the gate of the Lord. Now surrounding a gate, any gate, is usually some type of barrier or wall that is secure enough so that the gate will have integrity in what it allows in and what it allows to flow out. In other words, a gate is only as necessary as the wall structure that's surrounded. But there's a difference between gates and walls. Walls are rigid boundaries that are used to keep unwanted things out and to keep wanted things in. Whereas gates are movable boundaries that are only as necessary as the wall structure that surrounds it. My brothers and my sisters, gates regulate movement in and out. It's flexible. Walls are rigid. They're structured to keep things out. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. In the previous administration, there was much talk about building a wall. You know what I'm talking about. The wall was a structure that was intended to be built on the southern border of the United States with the principal intent of preventing indigenous people of South America, specifically from places like Guatemala, Ecuador, Mexico, San Salvador, and other countries from illegally entering into the United States. The logic being that these people who were, and I quote, bringing crime, drugs, rapists, these people coming into a North American society was such a threat and a danger that they needed to be kept out 
so that we could preserve our pure and hard-fought way of life. This is the logic. And the wall, which was not meant to keep wanted people in, was built in order to keep unwanted people out. And we know this to be true. Why? Because there was no intent to build any wall on the northern border with Canada. So what we have here is a direct attempt to establish a boundary between what this government would deem as acceptable people versus who was unacceptable and undesirable. It was a judgment based on race, ethnicity, and country of origin. And just to make sure that I am clear, if you were anything other than white, you were unacceptable, for there is no boundary if you were coming from Canada, Europe, Sweden, or Norway. Such was the logic behind this wall. But there's more to understand about this wall. Former President Trump brought much attention to the idea of a border wall. It was the cornerstone of his presidential campaign and the real linchpin, pun intended, of his presidency. But before his term ended, he had made a statement that his wall was being built and he said it was a beautiful wall. Many people said that he was being dishonest because the only thing that was done on the border was repairs to an existing wall and perhaps maybe about 300 miles of a new structure. But I contend that he was actually right about his wall. For contrary to popular belief, this wall on the border was not a physical wall. The wall of which he speaks is the wall of him re-erecting a racist structure that had laid dormant for many years. You know this wall. It is the wall that is being repaired when you see tiki torch carrying white supremacist chants, Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville, Virginia. You know this wall. It is the wall you see when police officers have no problem kneeling in the neck of a black man for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he cries for his mother and takes his last breath. You know this wall. It is a wall you see when you find a strong military presence for peaceful Black Lives Matter protesters and demonstrators, but then you find officers taking selfies with insurrectionists at the Capitol. Let me keep going. You know this wall when you see a former president having no problem saying things like Kung Flu and, and, and saying things like China. Why? When he wants to make a point about his racist rhetoric. You know this wall when you see an increase in violence against our Asian brothers and sisters. People walking up and literally sucker punching them in the street just because of that rhetoric. You know this wall when you see white men with their assault rifles nonchalantly walking and opening fire, killing people in Sandy Hook, Las Vegas, South Carolina, Atlanta, and numerous other places just because something has been awakened inside of them, giving them an entitled license to kill. You know this wall when you see that a new law in Georgia seeks to prohibit voting rights for people of color, and get this, get this church actually making it illegal to hand out water to people waiting in line to vote. You know this wall. You know this wall. It's not a physical wall. You know this wall when you see a five-year-old African-American boy arrested and charged with picking a tulip and another one being made to clear a clog, feces-filled toilet with his hands. Or, or, or when you see 
a, a, a young Haitian boy made to kneel and beg his teacher for forgiveness because that's the Nigerian way. My brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. Trump's wall is being built up and it's being fortified with every act of violence and white supremacy that is being acted out against blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, not only on the streets of America, but in the schools and in the universities and in your places of employment as well. And for every one of us, that see this and say nothing against it, we are helping to build that wall. To say nothing about police brutality is to fortify that wall. To, to say nothing about white supremacy is to fortify that wall. To say nothing about voting rights discrimination is to fortify that wall. To say nothing about the dehumanization of women is to fortify that wall. To say nothing in support of Black Lives Matter is to fortify that wall. And doggone it, to say nothing about Asian Lives Matter is to also fortify that wall. But while Trump is dead right about his wall being built, and I'm not talking about a physical wall, what he is, he is dead wrong about it being beautiful. He's dead wrong about it being beautiful, for there is nothing beautiful about hate. But there's another structure that is called beautiful, and this is the East Gate. As I shared with you before, the East Gate was the gate that Jesus used to enter into the city of Jerusalem. Now, what's really important for us is not the gate that Jesus came through, but what he did after he went through the gate. For once inside the city, Jesus went straight to the temple. In other words, he went straight to the church and he drove out the merchants and he overturned the money changers and their tables saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus would then come back day after day to speak about the kingdom of God before meeting with his disciples one last time to celebrate the Last Supper. Soon thereafter, he would make his way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, there to be arrested and taken before Caiaphas, the Jewish council, and the Sanhedrin. He would then be condemned for blasphemy and sent to Pontius Pilate. All of this, all of this would take place right after entering through the east gate that faces the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. Now, brothers and sisters, gates and doors are synonymous in the Bible, in the biblical context, as we can see from the 24th Psalm and the 7th verse, where it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. But let me draw your attention. Let me draw your attention to a couple of scripture references as I establish my point and the real crux of this message. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. And again, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and find pasture. When Jesus entered through the East Gate on Palm Sunday 
and proceeded to turn over the money changers' tables, knowing that it would lead to his crucifixion, Jesus was giving all of us a model for how, how we are to respond in this present age of lies, deceit, anger, and white supremacy. His model was for us to, number one, enter through the narrow gate. To take the narrow gate is to take the hard and difficult road for righteousness sake, despite what trouble it might bring. It is to make the decision to enter in and to get involved to change the status quo. Many of our institutions, including the church, have become places for hate and intolerance, and we need to overturn those tables of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. But as we enter through this gate, the fact that people might be cheering you on and goading you and flattering you for the stance that you are taking on injustice, don't let that get to your head. For the same people who are cheering you on are the same ones that will the next day shout, crucify him. Over the summer, hundreds of people of all races and walks of life March shouting, Black Lives Matter, and they had lawn signs which said the same. But where is the same outcry now for Asian Lives Matter? We can't pick and choose justice. Justice is justice, no matter who the victims are. And we have to be on top of all of it, especially the church. This, my brothers and sisters, is the narrow gate that you enter through and only few are willing to find it but to take the risk and to enter through it Jesus says it leads to life what good is your life if all you are concerned about is what's in your best interest we serve the needs of all people we especially the church have a calling on our lives to cry out and to shout out in the wilderness the kingdom of God is not a wall the kingdom of God is not hate the kingdom of God is not violence the kingdom of God is not white supremacy the kingdom of God is not your lily white church on the corner where you think that all things are perfect the church of God the kingdom of God is where we bleed with the bleeding and hurt with the hurting and we cry out for justice no matter who might be the victim so Jesus says enter through the narrow gate Jesus entered into Jerusalem ready to change over the money changer tables because he would not stand for the hypocrisy the second thing is Jesus says I am the door the door, like the gate, allows access to what's inside the city. And when Jesus says he is the door, he is literally letting us know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. If anyone enters through him, meaning in his name, with his authority, you will find pasture. Like the door to Noah's Ark, Jesus is the only way to safety. But you must believe that he is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. For if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be opened up to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, find. And him who knocks, will be opened. To be clear, my brothers and my sisters, it takes courage 
to go up against a system that is so entrenched in its ways and that is fortified with people who benefit from that same system. To take on injustice and racism is a hard calling, but a necessary one. But you're not alone. In fact, since the increase in violence against Asian Americans, I've even heard people say, why should we support Asian lives? Where were they all of these years when black folks were struggling? I hear the argument, I hear it, but here's my question. Where were you? Where were you? For it's very easy to say what other people are doing and take credit for it when you sit on the sidelines and do nothing yourself. Where were you? My brothers and my sisters, let's be clear. The devil, the devil, who is the enemy of our souls, he only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And his most effective tool is through division. Again, to be clear, white people are not our enemy. The devil is, and he uses white supremacy and white fragility. Asian people are not our enemy. The devil is, and he uses division and discrimination to get his methods done. Jews are not our enemy. The devil is, he uses anti-Semitism. Muslims are not our enemy. The devil is, as he uses religiosity and legalism, and finally, Finally, to all who are listening, who are melanin challenged, black people are not your enemy. The devil is, and he will use stereotypes and racism to get his methods done. My point is, if the devil can trick you into thinking that it is us versus them, or you versus me, then he wins. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a very famous quote by Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller, an outspoken public foe of Adolf Hitler. And here's what he said. If you've never heard the quote, this will be good for you to hear. Here is what he said. First, and I quote, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. This is what I mean by the gate of the Lord. It is recognizing that someone made a decision to enter into something that would cost them their lives but would be beneficial to you and to me. The gate of the Lord is for all who are willing to suffer for the cause of righteousness sake and to speak up for the disenfranchised, the discouraged, the despairing, and the despondent. The gate of the Lord is for all who are willing to fight for the poor, for the hungry, the grief-stricken, the hated, and the hurt. The gate of the Lord is for all who are ready to see and to support the abused, the ignored, the overlooked, the shamed, and the left out. The gate of the Lord is for all who simply need a second chance and a shot at making it. In other words, my brothers and my sisters, the gate of the Lord is for you and for me. Jesus entered into the east gate knowing that it would mean his 
death, but he entered anyway. And as the crowd chanted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I asked the question, what are you chanting today? Is it Black Lives Matter? Is it Asian Lives Matter? Is it Blue Lives Matter? Or is it all lives matter. Well, whatever your chant may be, whatever your chant may be, here's my chant from the 118th Psalm. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall not sit on the sidelines. I shall take on the responsibility and I shall give thanks to the Lord for the opportunity. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, O God, for you have answered me and you have become my and my people's salvation. And to the Lord I say, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Wait, wait, wait. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up. O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And my brothers and my sisters, and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.